Well, I want to say good morning to all of you today. I'm grateful that you're here. I want to welcome those who are watching us online. Welcome those at all of our campuses today. And uh, just tell you how much we're glad all of you are those who are watching by television. We welcome you as well. You know, just about the time that you think you've heard it all and you've seen it all, you realize you haven't. Because I, I realized that about four weeks ago when I read the most unbelievable obituary I've ever read in my life. This was the obituary of Leslie Ray Popeye Charping of Galveston, Galveston, Texas. He was 74 years old when he died of cancer on January the 30th, 2017. His family writes this lengthy obituary. And it not only went viral, it was read by so many people on the funeral home website that it actually shut it down. Now, I never dreamed that I would read an obituary that made me laugh. But I had tears coming down my eyes at some of the parts of this obituary. And I want you to listen to what this family wrote. Leslie Ray Popeye Charping was born in Galveston, Texas on November the 20th, 1942. He passed away January the 30th, 2017, which was 29 years longer than expected and much longer than he deserved. <laughs> Leslie battled with cancer in his latter years and lost his battle, ultimately due to being the horse's blank he was known for. He leaves behind two relieved children, a son, Leslie Roy Charping, and daughter, Sheila Smith, along with six grandchildren, countless other victims, including an ex-wife, relatives, friends, neighbors, doctors, nurses, and random strangers. At a young age, Leslie quickly became a model example of bad parenting, combined with mental illness and a complete commitment to drinking, drugs, womanizing, and just being generally offensive. Leslie enlisted to serve in the Navy, but not so much in a brave and patriotic way, but more, <laughs> but more as a part of a plea deal to escape sentencing on criminal charges. While enlisted, Leslie was the Navy boxing champion and went on to sufficiently embarrass his family and country by spending the remainder of his service in the Balboa Mental Health Hospital receiving much-needed mental health care services. Leslie was surprisingly intelligent. However, he lacked ambition and motivation to do anything more than being reckless, wasteful, squandering the family savings, and fantasizing about get-rich-quick schemes. Leslie's hobbies included being abusive to his family, expediting trips to heaven for the beloved family pets, and fishing, which he was less skilled with than the previously mentioned. Leslie's life served no other obvious purpose he did not contribute to society or serve his community, and he possessed no redeeming qualities besides quick-witted sarcasm, which was amusing during his sober days. With Leslie's passing, he will be missed only for what he never did, being a loving husband, a loving father, and a good friend. No services will be held. There will be no prayers for eternal peace and no apologies to the family that he tortured. My favorite part. Leslie's, fam Leslie's remains will be cremated and kept in the barn until Ray, the family donkey's wood shavings, run out. Leslie's passing proves that evil does in fact die and hopefully marks a time of healing and safety for all. Now, needless to say, 
leaving things right with his family was not on his bucket list. Leaving fond memories with his family did not make his bucket list. Now, we're on a series that we're calling The Bucket List. And I believe that Jesus, in the last six hours of his life, knowing he was about to die, he made seven statements that, in effect, were his bucket list. And I believe there are seven things that ought to be on everybody's bucket list. As a matter of fact, I don't believe you're ready to die until what was on his bucket list is on your bucket list. And by the way, if you have missed the, uh, li the last week's message where we started and you'd like to catch up, just go to our website, Crosspoint Church, and you can catch up or go to, our, go to touchinglives.org and you can catch up there. Now, I, I really do believe, you know, it's interesting to notice when, when, when you read these statements about Jesus, it's interesting how they break up. Because in the first three statements he's, he, he, that he makes as he's being crucified, he's talking about others. So, for example, he, he looks at the mob that was crucifying him, and he asks for their forgiveness. And then he looks at the, this man that is being crucified next to him, and he grants him forgiveness. And now he saves his last words for his mother. Because there's, last, there's one last piece of business Jesus knows he has to take care of before he leaves planet Earth, and that is family matters. If you brought a copy of God's Word or you have an iPhone or a smart pad or whatever it is that you use, I want you to turn to John chapter 19. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I want you to turn to the fourth Gospel, chapter 19. You know, the great British writer and journalist G.K. Chesterton once said this. He said, we spend the first half of our lives fighting with our parents and the second half of our lives fighting with our children. And you know, there's a lot of truth in that. Well, I believe that we ought to spend all of our lives right up to our last breath taking care of family and making sure, if possible, we're right with our family. And I just want to go ahead and ask a question of all of you out there today. Whether you are a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister, if you were to die today, would you be right with your family? Would you leave things right with your family? What kind of an obituary would your family write about you today if you were to suddenly kick the bucket and leave this planet? I believe that what Jesus said in John chapter 19 tells us three things we better make sure that we do before we leave this earth. Number one, love your family selflessly. Love your family selflessly. The famous English writer Samuel Johnson once said, when a man knows he's about to be hanged, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. Well, if there ever was a time when you would expect anybody to be thinking about only themselves and nobody else, you would think it would be when you're about to die. I mean, if you knew in the next three minutes you're about to die, wouldn't you really kind of focus on you and on your life, making sure you've got your act together, making sure your affairs are, are, are in order? But here's Jesus suffering the most excruciating death and total separation from his father, he's not thinking about himself. He is focusing on others. He asked God to forgive his persecutors who deserve to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. He has commuted the death penalty of a prisoner to eternal life. Now, right in the middle of the most agonizing time in his life, he looks down at this crowd and he sees his mother and he turns his full attention to his precious sweet mother and this is what he says 
Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. Now, I think we would all agree if you know anything about the life of Jesus, I think we would all agree no son has ever loved a mother like this son loved his mother. No mother has ever had a son like Mary did. Nobody. Here's Jesus bearing the weight of the sin of the entire world on his shoulders. He's about to become the first and only member of God's family to walk through the valley of the shadow of death all by himself. His father's not going to walk with him. The spirit's not going to walk with him. No angel's going to walk with him. He's about to enter into a spiritual no man's land. And yet in the middle of all of, all of that, he make, takes this last opportunity to make sure that his mother is secure. Now you can imagine, if you're a mom out there, you get this. Mary's heart was breaking. And his heart was breaking for the breaking heart of his mother. Now I've never been a mom, but I've been a dad in some way I can relate to this, but I think especially you moms can relate to this. I, you know, there's no question what's going through Mary's mind right now. There's no question what she's experiencing right now. She is witnessing the most unnatural thing that a mother could ever witness. She's going through the most unnatural experience that any mother could ever go through because psychologists say the most unnatural thing that can ever happen to a parent is the loss of a child. My uh, grandmother, who I never knew, my mother's mother, back in the, in the early uh, 1920s, my grandmother buried two children in one week. As a matter of fact, one was a baby, one was a three-year-old girl. They were buried in the same casket. They died of smallpox. Later on, my godly grandmother used to say to anybody that would talk to her about it, there is nothing so unnatural, nothing that should never, ever happen like a mother witnessing the death of a child. But not only was it unnatural, it was unnerving. Because Jesus is not dying quietly. He's not dying instantly. He's not dying suddenly. He's not dying peacefully. He is dying the most excruciating, painful, shameful death ever known to mankind. Now, <coughs> she surely thought, you know what? This is not just unnatural. This is not just unnerving. This is unnecessary. <clears throat> Maybe every other woman being crucified that day deserved to be. Maybe every other person were getting what they deserved. But if there's one person that knew that, that Jesus was not getting what he deserved, it had to be Mary. You know why? Because he literally was the perfect son. Some of us moms, some of you moms out there may think you've had the perfect son. She had the perfect son. I mean, think about it. Her son was never scolded. Her son was never spanked. Her son was never corrected. Here was a son that even his own mother could find no fault in him. He was never put in time out. He, 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 was, he was never disciplined for any reason whatsoever. And yet here he is dying the death of a convicted criminal. And then Jesus looks at her. And Jesus looks at John, the disciple, and he says these words. He says, woman, here is your son. Now, what he was saying was, mom, don't worry about the future. I took care of you while I was alive. I'm going to take care of you now that you're gone. 
I'm going to see to it that John makes sure that he totally meets every need that you have. By the way, it may surprise you to say to see that, that Jesus called her woman, and you may think, well, that's kind of a, a, a kind of a crude way to talk to your mom. No, it really wasn't, because I want you to understand back in the day why that term was used. Back in those days, the term woman was a term of respect and a term of honor. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you something kind of strange. Did you know that never in the Gospels do you ever hear Jesus call Mary his mother? It's interesting. Not one time does he ever call her mother. Now, he sure doesn't call her mother now. If there's one time he cannot call her mother, he can't call her mother now. You say, well, why not? Because at this moment, he was not primarily her son. At this moment, he was primarily her savior. She had always been an, a, an earthly mother, but he has always been a heavenly son. And even though Jesus was dying as her savior, he didn't forget, mom, while I'm still alive, I know I'm your savior, but I'm also your son. He's just provided a, 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 a um, heavenly home for a wicked thief. Now he's going to provide an earthly home for a wonderful mother. He loved his family selflessly. Now let me just say, stop right here and say this. I thought about this when I was in my study working on this message. I, I know for some of you this is a hard message to hear right now. I, I know that. Because I know there's some of you out there right now and you're listening to me and you're not right with your family or you're not right with a member of your family and you may feel like you have a right not to be right with your family. Maybe you've been mistreated by a family member. Uh, maybe you've been ostracized and disowned and left out. Uh, it may even be that you've tried to love your family but they won't let you love them. Maybe you've been rebuffed. Well, I would just say to you, take a great lesson of what Jesus did on the cross. Take every opportunity you can to love those who are dearest to you. Make sure that you love them before, they, before you leave them or before they leave you. In other words, make sure they have your password. Yeah? You may have to swallow some pride. You may have to die to some bitter feelings. You may have to forgive when forgiveness hasn't even been asked for. You may have to take the first step. And oh yes, you may run the risk of being rejected all over again. But here's the point. Don't think about yourself. Think about your family and you love them selflessly. That's the first thing Jesus did. All right, number two. Leave your family thoughtfully. Love your family selflessly. Leave your family thoughtfully. Now look what Jesus does. He's just told his mom, Mom, you're going to be taken care of. You're going to be looked after. You're not going to be out in the cold. You're not going to have to worry about where you live. You're not going to have to worry about what you eat. Everything's going to be fine. And she knows that because of the next thing Jesus says to John. He's to the disciple, John. John, here is your mother. He says to Mary, Mary, Here's your son. Now he says to John, John, here is your mother. Now, what he said in effect is this. John, I'm going to a throne, but mom's going to your home. She's going to be your mother, and you're going to be her son. You're going to take her in, and you're going to treat her just like you were the one that grew up with her all of your life. And by the way, you'll notice this. He didn't ask John. 
He, he didn't make, this was not a request. This was an, a command. And don't miss the timing of this statement. Here's Jesus again at the peak of his agony, his torment, his suffering, his pain. He's doing his greatest and his hardest work. And yet, here's Jesus calling time out and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, put everything on hold. I've got to take care of mom. Now, here's my word to you. Listen. Even when you're doing God's work, or even when you're just out there, you're just trying to make a living for your family. Listen to my next statement. I don't care if you're doing the work of God. I don't care if you're busting it trying to make a living for your family. I don't care if you're busting it trying to give your kids the things you never had. I don't care if you're busting it trying to make sure they get to go to a nice college, they get to have all the nice things that you never got to have. It is never right to neglect your family. It is never right to neglect your family. I practiced something from the time that I went into the ministry, and I've kept it. As a matter of fact, every time we hire staff to come on staff with us, I sit the staff person down, and I tell them what I'm about to tell you. My philosophy is very simple. My priorities are real easy to get in order. Here's my priorities. You ready? God first. Family second. Church distant third. God first. Family second, church, distant third. I made up my mind, and I don't know how God put this in my heart, but I'm glad that he did. I made up my mind early on. I would not sacrifice my marriage, and I would not sacrifice my kids, and I would not sacrifice my, 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 my uh, family on the altar of ministerial success, doing it under the guise of, you know, I'm doing it for God, and I'm doing it for his work. Let me tell you why. The very best thing I can do as a pastor of a church, you know what it is? Be the best husband to my wife that I can be. And to be the best dad to my kids that I can be. Because I cannot be the pastor that you deserve if I'm not the husband I ought to be and if I'm not the father that I ought to be. And so even to the very end, Jesus said, Mom, I want to be the best son that I could possibly be. I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of. Now, some of you, if you're kind of sharp, you may be thinking about this question. You may be saying, well, wait a minute. Why is he turning Mary over to a non-relative? I mean, after all, what about Joseph, her husband? And, and after all, Jesus had brothers and sisters. Why is he telling John, John, you're going to take care of mom? Well, let's take Joseph, first of all. Bible scholars say, and I think they're absolutely right, Mary was most likely a widow. Because Joseph, his father, had already died. And here's why we believe that. The last time that Joseph is ever mentioned in Scripture, the last time, is when Jesus is in the temple as a 12-year-old boy, and he stayed behind to teach the Bible to the Pharisees. After that, Mary is mentioned many times. Joseph is never mentioned. As a matter of fact, we're going to quote a verse of Scripture down the road where Jesus refers to his mother and his brothers, but he doesn't ever mention his father. So, it's most likely that Mary was a widow, and as to be expected, Jesus is the firstborn son. Well, who's supposed to take care of the mom, the firstborn son, all right? So you say, okay, well, wait a minute. He had brothers. Yes, he did. And he had a sister. Yes, he did. Well, what about them? Well, the problem there was they didn't even believe in Jesus. As a matter of fact, they, didn't never, they never believed in Jesus until after the resurrection. So they were nowhere to be found. 
So Jesus turns to this non-relative, who, by the way, this non-relative was even closer to him than his own brothers and closer to him than his own sisters, and he trusted him more than his brothers and his sisters. But what something else is going on. Now, you wouldn't understand this by just reading this in, in English. But when Jesus said, Mother, behold your son, and son, behold your mother, you wouldn't know this. But in Jewish thought, if a dying man had last words, and if a dying man bequeathed things to other people, he could say in his, you know, with his last breath, you're going to get this and you're going to get that. You take care of this and you take care of that. In Jewish thought, that, th those words had the same legal force as a last will and testament. Same force as if he'd written them down on a piece of paper. In other words, this is something you've never realized. You know what Jesus was doing at this moment in his life? He was leaving his last will and testament. That wasn't very long. I read the other day where the longest will ever probated was bound up in four volumes. It contained 95,940 words. Can you imagine a will that long? But guess what? This is kind of interesting. The shortest will on record was probated in Great Britain. It had three words. You won't believe what those words were. You ready for this? All for mother. All for mother. Now, let me tell you why this is kind of a practical point in this message. 70% of all Americans die without a will. 70%. You know what that said? If you die without a will, so you die, you don't have any will written up whatsoever. You die without a will. Question. So who decides to get what you have and who decides where it goes? Somebody tell me. The state. Red alert. You don't want the state deciding nothing for you. Not when it comes to what you have and not when it comes to what you own. If you are an adult and you have anything of value, you need to have a will done as quickly as possible. You young parents out there, you parents that have Young children, let me ask you this. Let's suppose you die today. So who's going to take care of those kids after you're gone? You better make sure you state that ahead of time. Most of us have some very valuable family heirlooms. I do. I've got some very valuable family heirlooms. We've already put in our will. This is who gets this. This is who we get, who gets that. Because you know what? If you don't do that, here's what you're doing. You're setting your kids up to fight and to argue and to disagree and to divide. So don't even let that happen. Decide ahead of time who gets what. That's why I said, you know what Jesus is doing here? He's leaving his family thoughtfully. He's making sure there's no loose ends. Everything is tied up. So number one, love your family selflessly. Make sure you're right with your family. Number two, number three, lead your family spiritually. Lead your family spiritually. Love them thoughtfully. Love them selflessly. Leave them thoughtfully. But lead your family spiritually. Now, I've got one last question. This is a great question to always ask. If you believe the Bible is the word of God, then you have to believe that God never puts anything in there by accident. He just doesn't stuff something in there because he had nothing else to do. So a very good question would be, now, why did John record these words by Jesus? Because Matthew never recorded this. Mark never wrote this down. 
Luke never wrote it down. John is the only gospel writer that records these last of the seven last sayings of Jesus. Why did the Holy Spirit want to make sure that we knew about this conversation? All right, listen to what happens next. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now watch what happens. Not only did a mother adopt a son, but a son adopted a mother, and Jesus arranged the whole thing. Jesus said, nobody should ever leave planet Earth without with any loose ends hanging when it comes to your family. You know what else he said? I'm not going to leave with any regrets. I'm not going to look back on my life and say, I wish I had more time. I wish I had done this, or I wish I had done that. He had two responsibilities to fulfill in the last six hours of his life. One was as a savior, one was as a son, and he did both. And he died fulfilling the fifth commandment, which is honor your father and your mother. If you're under the age of 30 or 35, listen to this next statement. You are never too old to honor your parents, and your parents are never too old to be honored. By the way, the word too there should have another O, so correct that in the next slide. Too old, they just, well, they just did one, about to do one another one. That's, you know, let there be light, okay? So you're never too old to honor your parents, and your parents are never too old to be honored. Listen, if Jesus could honor his mother while he's dying, can't we honor our parents while we're living, while we've got the breath to do it? See, let me tell you something I had to learn, and, and I'm glad God taught me. The older our parents get, the more determined we ought to be to love them and look after them and care about them. And let me tell you something. If you understand what your parents did for you growing up, I don't care how bad it may seem. I don't care how much of a hassle it may seem. Taking care of your parents is never a burden. It is a blessing. It is a blessing to be able to take care of your parents. I read the other day there was a story about a mom and she'd gotten very old, and she was infirm. She couldn't get around very well. <coughs> she had to move in with, with her son's family. Well, things weren't working out too well because the mother was, she had a little touch of dementia. She was getting forgetful. She didn't always put things away. She wasn't very neat. She had a tendency to drop things. And what made it even worse was the son, but especially his wife, they were kind of neat freaks. You know, they wanted everything in order and nothing out of place. Well, one night at dinner, they were passing her a plate full of food. She dropped it, and she broke the plate. Well, not only did the food go all over the floor, but the daughter-in-law was just outraged because this happened to be a plate from the finest china set that she owned. So after dinner, the wife told her oldest son to walk down the street to the store and buy a tin plate, you know, a plate that wouldn't break. So she, he said, well, Mom, why are you buying a, a tin plate? She said, well, because from now on, whatever we eat, she's not going to eat off my fine china. She's not going to eat off any, any of our foodware. She's going to eat off that tin plate so she won't break anything else. Well, when the son got back, he gave his mom the bag, and she looked in it, and there were two tin plates. And she said, well, son, I told you to buy one. Why did you buy two? She said, well, Mom, one's for Grandma, and the other one's for you when you get old. 
You never get too old to love your parents. And they never get too old for you to honor your parents. Are your parents still living? I wish mine were. Are your parents still living? If they are, how's your relationship with your parents? Do, do you still make room in your schedule for them? You know, when you were young, they served you. They met every need you had. My question is, are you returning the favor? If I were to ask your parents right now, if I were to ask your parents this question, do you feel honored by your children? Do you feel honored by your son and by your daughter? How would they respond? Don't ever grow too old. Don't ever get too busy to spend time with your parents, to learn from your parents, to make sure that they know that you love them and you respect them. See, God will honor you if you honor your parents. But Jesus goes even deeper. Listen to this. Let me go back to something else Jesus said early in his ministry. You may remember on one occasion Jesus was in a house and he was teaching. And it was standing room only. There was a great crowd there. And as a matter of fact, there was this big crowd trying to get in. Well, somebody made their way to Jesus when they got inside. And they said, hey, Jesus, by the way, your mother and your brothers, they're outside looking for you. I want you to listen to what Jesus said. This is so good. Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Now, what was the point? Jesus said, look, it's not that I don't love my family, and I'm not grateful for my family. Let me tell you what real family is. There's one tie that's stronger than a family tie. That is a faith tie. Heavenly ties are stronger and greater than earthly ties. That's why Jesus could look at John and he could say, John, that's your mother. Mary, that is your son. Because here's what Jesus was saying. You ready? John? I'm taking your place in my death. You take my place in your life. You are now mine because you, we are his brothers. We are his sisters. We are his mothers. So let me tell you what that means. Let's get practical. There are widows out there right now. They need somebody else's son to take care of them. There are single moms out there that have small kids. They need a surrogate father to be a dad to their kids. There are people out there right now who are sick and shut in. They need to be visited by people who have no blood relationship whatsoever. But they need to be visited and they need to know somebody loves them and somebody cares about them. Because in the end, we are all, those of us who know Jesus, we are all a part of his family. Now let me ask you this question. Do you know why John accepted this responsibility? Do you know why John took over this assignment without one word of complaint? He did it willingly. He didn't gladly. He didn't say, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't know that I've got enough food to go around. I don't know that I've got enough money to take care of your mom. Lord, I've got other children. Lord, I've got other responsibilities. Why in the world did John, without one word, I mean, look at Jesus and say, I got this. Don't worry about it. I will make sure your mom is taken care of. You know why he did that? Because for three years, Jesus had spent leading him spiritually, showing him how to live a sacrificial life that always puts other people first. That's what we need to do with our family. Love them selflessly. Lead them thoughtfully. And lead them spiritually. Now I want you to do this. I want you just to Close up your Bibles and put down your pens and 
close your phone out or whatever. And just look up here and just give me your last three or four minutes. Let me just tell you this. Because I can't let this go by without talking about my own situation. As you look back in life as you get older, you'll know this. You know there are just certain days in your life you'll never forget. Uh, for example, um, everybody in this room, if you are old enough to remember 9-11, you know exactly where you were when 9-11 happened. <clears throat> There's some of you that are old enough, you remember exactly where you were when JFK was assassinated. There are some of you in this room or some of you listening here right now, and, 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 and you can remember where you were when Pearl Harbor was attacked. You, you remember those days. And there are certain days in your life you just don't ever forget. And as I was working on this sermon, I thought about a day I'd never forget. It happened about, in fact, almost two years ago in a nursing home, maybe 10 miles from here. It's where my mother spent her last days. She had pretty much become wheelchair-bound. Her spirits were low. And it was one of those days when the reality just set in that she's just not going to be here much longer. And I remember walking in that day and, and, and um, mom was sitting in a wheelchair. Her head was kind of bowed down. She had a plate of food, hadn't even touched it. She didn't know I was there. And I walked in and I gently shook her awake and she was so glad to see me and I hugged her neck and kissed her and she was not feeling real well wanted to get back in the bed and so I called the nurse in there and the nurse helped her get back in the bed and I was standing up talking to her and I just I guess I don't know just the way she looked we talked for a minute or two and I leaned over and I kissed her and I could feel the emotion coming on so I just turned around and I walked over to the window as you see outside in her room and I walked over and I turned my back to her and I was looking out the window because I didn't want to see, I didn't want to see the tears coming down my face. And I guess for three or four minutes, I never said a word, she never said a word, and I was just choking back the tears. And finally she said, son, she said, what are you thinking about? I just lost them. Turned to her and I said, Mom, it's just hard to let you go. I love you more than I love my own life. And I said, Mom, I could have never asked for a better mother. And then I heard her say something that even, even while I'm standing up here, it's as fresh in my ear as when she said it two years ago. She kind of did like this, motioned me to walk over there. She said, son, I'm so proud of all three of my sons. I could have never asked for better boys. You've always taken care of me and dad and I know you'll take care of your brother after you're gone. It wasn't a week after that that I got the call and I walked into that room 
And I leaned over and kissed the forehead of the body where the spirit had already departed. And though I knew the body couldn't hear me, I thought, well, maybe she hears me in heaven. And I kissed her forehead and I said, Mom, I have no regrets. One day, we're all going to leave our earthly family for our heavenly family. And I'm telling every one of you in this room, make sure you love them before you leave them. Jesus died on a cross so we could be a part of his heavenly family. But before he left, he took care of his earthly family. And we should love our family the way Jesus loved his because family matters. Let's pray together.